Last spring, there was a series of articles and on websites and in papers uh, announcing that on the 23rd of April, a rare celestial configuration of the moon under the constellation Virgo would cause catastrophic worldwide earthquakes and volcanic eruptions followed by a collision between the Earth and a rogue planet called Nibiru, or sometimes it's called Planet X. This was all just shorthand for the end of the world as we know it. And it's only one of a series of apocalyptic scenarios that get bandied about on the Internet. Uh, an eruption of the Yellowstone supervolcano, for example, or an asteroid collision, a geomagnetic pole reversal, Gulf Stream shutdown, near-Earth supernova, mega-tsunami, global pandemic ex extraterrestrial attack, a cybernetic revolt that your coffee maker refuses to work, massive solar bursts, and, of course, global crust shift. At the end of his famous poem, The Hollow Men, T.S. Eliot wrote the oft-quoted lines, This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. The point of all of these doomsday theories is that contrary to T.S. Eliot, we really prefer our disaster stories to end not with a whimper, but with a bang. This Sunday's brief gospel passage from Mark, it's sometimes called the little apocalypse, is no exception to the rule. In his description of falling stars, the darkening of the sun and the moon, Jesus sounds like, well, John Hagee or Garner Ted Armstrong waxing eloquent about the rapture. In fact, however, as the Lord Jesus speaks these words, what is near is the end of his own life. According to Mark's timeline, it is about Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus has a little less than 72 hours to live, and he is very much aware of it. Mark tells us that during that last week of his life, Jesus spent much of his time in the temple teaching. And this is where we heard him last Sunday, sitting near one of the three gates leading into the court of the women, watching a widow put a few copper coins in the temple treasury. The example of that woman who, with no thought of herself, gives everything she has to live on, in the light of Good Friday, becomes an image of Christ who gives all of himself for the whole of the world. This Sunday, the scene now suddenly shifts to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus sits with his disciples looking uh, at the temple across the Kidron Valley. This short chapter of Mark, 37 verses in all, which we hear only the last four verses, is equivalent to the farewell discourse in John's Gospel. You might be familiar with that in the later weeks of the Easter season. A short chapter of it, uh, it may be, but it is dense. This is Mark's Gospel now, is dense with Old Testament illusions. So Isaiah 13, 34, 40, 51, 13, 34, Joel 2, 3, 51, Daniel 7, 9, 11, 12, 26, Ezekiel 32. It may sound like Bible bingo, but all these passages from the Hebrew Bible deal with, in one way or another, with God's definitive intervention in human history through the coming of the Messiah. 
The Lord Jesus took that traditional Jewish belief and pushed it just one step further and said that he himself was the one unique agent of God's intervention in human history. Moreover, he seems to have had no delusions about how this would be received by those in power in Israel. He is sitting on the Mount of Olives in today's passage with his disciples, but in two days' time, he will be hanging on a cross on Mount Calvary, deserted by his followers. This means that the setting for this passage on the Mount of Olives is not or can't be accidental. The story of the destruction of the temple and the darkening of the moon and the sun simply can't be told, is, a, is not a story that can be told in the abstract. Rather, the Lord has carefully chosen this location because he is aware, even as we are not, that the Mount of Olives played an important symbolic place in Ju- the Jewish imagination regarding the coming of the Messiah. So, according to the prophet Zechariah, The Mount of Olives is the place where God himself will appear on the Day of Judgment, fighting the definitive battle against Israel's enemies. Moreover, there was a tradition already old in Jesus' day which said that the resurrection of the dead would take place on the Mount of Olives when the Messiah was finally revealed, and that is why it is the most hallowed burial site in Israel to this day. The Messianic themes connected to this site help explain why on Palm Sunday the Lord Jesus begins his entry into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and why 52 in the year 52 AD on that same mount the last stronghold of a mysterious figure known as the Egyptian prophet who claimed to be the Messiah he perished with 400 of his followers when the Roman governor Festus ordered his troops to go against them So we could probably explore these themes even further, but I know that you're all anxious to get home and check your disaster supply kits in preparation for the next prediction of the end of the world. So the question is, what is Mark up to in this passage with all this dire apocalyptic imagery? Is he saying that the Lord Jesus believed that the end of the world was imminent? In which case, something obviously has gone unaccountably wrong because 2,000 years later, here we are. Catholic faith is not a doomsday cult. Popes don't make predictions about the imminent destruction of the world or dogmatic pronouncements about Nostradamus quatrains. But if the church is not a doomsday cult, neither does it place all its hope in the world under the dominion of sin, injustice, war, suffering, and death. God's definitive intervention in human affairs began with the coming of Christ, but the final chapter is waiting to be written. The world will come to an end, come hell or high water, with a bang or with a whimper. It's merely a matter of time, but the point is, it's God's time, not ours. Meanwhile, you and I have to live somewhere in the tension between two systems of belief, two ways of looking at the world. One system of belief is a sustained invitation to forget the ultimate goal of human life. Uh, It says, fear not that the world will come to an end today because it's already tomorrow in Australia. The other tells us, keep watch for you do not know the hour or the time of your master's return. 
In a few minutes, we will stand at the altar and sing the Our Father with that bit about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe we should be a little more thoughtful about the radical thing we're asking God to bring about in the world. <laughs> 